Welcome to Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. We are so glad you could join us today. The Crosstalk podcast is in pursuit of growing in our understanding of the gospel and discovering what it means to transfer to the next generation. And now, here are your hosts, Charles and Daniel. Good to be with you again. We are still continuing our look at church history and what that means for us in this modern era. Um, and I, I know we've been on this for a while since really going into spring, going out of winter of this year. And we're about to wrap it up. We're, we're getting close. Yeah, we ought to be done in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. Well, if you really did a deep dive, it would take a while. <laughs> but um, we're not doing that. The idea is just to be an, an overview, a survey, if you will. I feel like I got the quicksand that can't get out. <laughs> it's really hard to get out. Um, but today we're going to look at warnings from history. And if you remember, we looked at movements a few weeks back, so this will be a deeper dive into that, uh, really just kind of delving into... It'd be more specific. It'd be more yeah. specific, yeah. That was a little more overview within an overview, because we just yeah. said we're doing an overview yeah. of history, right? Uh, one thing I do want to say, a couple weeks ago, uh, when you'll be listening to this, a couple weeks ago, um, Queen Elizabeth died. If you don't know that, then right. you're probably living on a rock somewhere. You need somewhere. to get out of the cave you're Right, in, and yeah. you just study history. You need to get, um, you need to get out, yeah. <laughs> but I, I just bring that up very briefly. To, to give context to why we're studying church history and why history is important. And if you paid attention at all to her death, you realize she reigned for 70 years. A third of American history. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, that's phenomenal, really. Yeah. And we will never see that in our lifetime, probably not even in our children's lifetime again. No, um, we I don't, won't ever if see ever. it again. If ever. And so I, I think I, put, I bring that as a historical piece watching history unfold to bring context to why we're studying history. It's important. You know yeah. where we come from yeah. to know how we got here and why we're here, for better or for worse. And Some, you look at Something brought us here. Yes, and you look at Queen Elizabeth. She represents so much of actually what we talked about in regards to the Reformation and how England responded to the Reformation Western and Protestantism yeah. and, and how that continued in England and, so, and how it almost didn't continue when you go back at Bloody Mary. So there's so much there that we can't get there's into, but I, yeah. I bring that up just to say history is important. I mean, if you like story, yeah. it's quite a story. Yeah, and history is important. Yeah, it it's is. It's important. Yeah. And it's significant for us and has application for us. So, anyway, today we're going to talk about warnings from history. This will be part one. Next week be part two. Uh, but I know you had a few things you want to say before we dive in, just kind of introduce what, or introduce what we're talking about in regards to warnings from history. Yeah, the topic we're covering here, I'm, I'm using a general term called Adventism. Advent has to do with the coming of Christ. It was the first right. Advent. We look as Christians, as evangelicals, to the second Advent. But there was this great resurgence, if you want to call it that, this great push in the 19th century, early part of the 20th century, of Adventism. And a real, and we're going to see that there was one fellow who sort of sparked this whole larger movement and uh, uh, began early, sometime after the War of 1812, began to pick up and it built steam throughout the 1800s. Um, and uh, one person who can be credited with sort of the, the getting it going is a guy by the name of William Miller. We're going to see his influence on a couple of people we talk about here. And uh, we don't know, we don't hear his name. You, who Probably people who are listening, they've never heard of never William Never heard of William. Yeah. And, uh, but there's, there's Ellen G. White. There's uh, Charles Taz Russell. And um, actually there are four major movements or 
cults, actually, that came out of the Adventist movement. Um, Seventh-day Adventism, Seventh-day Adventism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness or Watchtower, and Christian Science. Now, neither Mormonism or Christian Science were, strictly speaking, Adventist movements or Adventist cults because their system doesn't have a place for the return of Christ. Right. But I, I put them there because uh, they were part of a larger heretical flow or movement that came out of the 1800s and, uh, and, and into the 20th century. So that's why they're in here. Someone who's really strict about are there P's and Q's when it comes to history, and I say Adventism. <laughs> they call us out on it, right? Right. They might. Yeah. So I, I give that as by way of explanation. That's kind of what leads us to what we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. Which that being, we're going to talk about Seventh-day Adventist first. Yeah. Uh, Seventh-day Adventism is, a, is something of an anomaly even as a cult. And, and it would be controversial to call it a cult. There have been some real changes in Adventism, Seventh-day Adventism, in the past uh, de- few decades, the past 25 years, generation. And they have renounced some of the things they have held to over the years. But but it began, all began back uh, um, when a woman was influenced by the teaching of the fellow we call William Miller. William Miller um, began to become interested in some things, especially the Second Coming, uh, eschatology, those kinds of things. He had some problems with certain biblical teachings, and uh, uh, j- and just to give some perspective, I mean, Seventh Day Adventism has about um, ninety five thousand congregations. Worldwide. Yeah, it's not small deal. And, yeah, we're talking about twenty one, twenty two million people uh, that are at least somehow attached to Seventh Day Adventism. But so White was influenced by Miller. She read him. And she was very interested in the whole thing of the coming of Christ. And um, she had some visions. That should be a red flag mm. for us. If you paid attention over the last few weeks when we've talked about, you know, certain things like uh, authority other than Scripture, well, that, right. that rings a bell for us. And her core beliefs were based on her visions. So her own receiving, not what God had already written. Yeah, it, the Bible is important. Right. But again, when we see this, um, we see people who aren't satisfied with what Scripture says. They're particularly not satisfied with what Orthodox or Reformed uh, um, people have said and held to when it comes to the Scripture. So, um, so therefore, she developed some really heretical views. She wrote a book entitled "The Great Controversy." And she, uh, and in those, and in her writings, she uh, she denied the atoning sacrifice of Christ, and that as being sufficient. And she declared that Satan was a joint sin bearer. And most people still don't realize that when they think of Adventism, they talk to people, they talk about trusting Christ as Savior. And I have known folks personally who are Adventists and who say they don't hold to certain things. But typically speaking, historically, Adventists have said, in order to understand the Bible correctly, you need to read Ellen G. White. Hmm. You know, it's kind of like Mormons say, if you're going to understand the Bible, you have to have the Book of Mormon, or you don't have a complete view of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, uh, th- she also taught that Jesus had a fallen nature. Hmm. So 
Which is, is antithetical to the whole concept of, of someone t- atoning for our death, yeah, so you have doing whole, what we could not do. Right. You have the, Exactly. You have the whole problem with soteriology, salvation, right. the gospel itself, the atoning work of Christ, the work of Christ, and the person of Christ. Or the uh, deity of Christ, for, for crying out loud. Right. <laughs> There's more to say about this. Obviously, right. we just give um, introductory stuff if people want to. Uh, actually, I'm leaning pretty heavily on a small two-volume paperback work from Chapel Library in Florida on church history, and I, a lot of this information has come from there. I've also read some other books, but you you can do some reading, and you don't have to read five books. You can pick up two or three of the things we've mentioned, and it will help. But anyway, um, uh, so they, they also, and she also taught that saints don't go to be with the Lord when they die, the old teaching of soul sleep. So where, so where do they go? Uh, well, their their soul sleeps until, whenever it's reunited and mm. goes to be in heaven. So, so Christians are then also in one vision. She actually went to heaven and she saw the Ten Commandments, and the fourth commandment was particularly highlighted in some way, like some kind of a halo or uh, colorful something surrounding the fourth commandment, which is uh, on the Sabbath. And the keeping of the Sabbath, six days so you labor, et cetera. And so that was kind of a central thing. Well, the church has historically, since the first century, moved from a, a Sabbath, seventh day Sabbath to a first day Sabbath. Okay, I just want to make an observation here as I'm listening to you talk that I think is very important when we think about history. These people that came up with these religious sex, you know, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. groups, you know, the, there's something that I see in common is that they disregard years of biblical teaching. Right. Everybody got it wrong with them. And it's, that, to <laughs> me, that's, it's very telling because to me, that's very prideful. Right. To see that somehow I would come up with something that no one else has done. Yeah. When we know, you know, Solomon, the wise king said, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. You know, it's not like there's new truth to be discovered. There's just stuff we don't know. <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, it, it, yeah. It's not like it wasn't there. So, and then when it comes to biblical truth, it's been written, and God has spoken. And so, I, I find this very telling: is that it's very consistent that these people disregard not just years, but hundreds and thousands of years of things that have been settled and worked through, and somehow. They know something that nobody else knows. Yeah, and there's an arrogance that goes with that. You know, it's interesting, too, when you mentioned that. It brought up something I read as I was looking this whole issue over. Um, one of the things that was mentioned was that uh, the whole idea of the Immaculate Conception of Christ being born from a woman who was immaculately conceived, she attributed that to evangelicalism when it's really a Catholic teaching. And then she's, she goes off and disproves, therefore, the, uh, the, the uh, impeccability of Christ, what we would call his sinlessness. His, right. uh, uh, she goes to disprove that based on this erroneous thing that the church taught. And uh, so anyway, obviously you have an agenda. You have visions. You, didn't, you don't agree with what you see in the church. You, these visions contradict what you see. Your visions are from God. Therefore, you have an insight other people don't have, and then these people gain a following and of unconverted people because unconverted people can be deceived. I'm not saying converted people can't be deceived, but converted people cannot 
be deceived about the central core issues of the faith, at least certainly not. I mean, they may be they may be challenged with them and want to find out. But the whole one of the whole things that First John and John and First John points out is that those who stray into heresy are the ones who weren't with us in the first place. So they would right. if they'd been one of us, they would have stayed with us. And so, um, but this th- is nothing new. Even our pastor, gosh, week and a half ago, was talking about Gnosticism and this idea of you know there's a higher plane. And that that which is physical is not really real, and we have to reach something we've never reached before. So it's 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 nothing new. This yeah, is, actually, this has been attacking the church since time was really. Yeah, actually, and I don't know, I can't remember the time frame right now, but Hannah Whitehall Smith wrote a thing called um, um, "God's um, Secret to a Full and Happy Life" or something to that effect. I can't remember the title right now, but she basically, it's this thing where you you shift into by a certain submission to God's Spirit or whatever, to a plane of living that is above the normal, that is, you know, it's, it's, it's related to perfectionism. It's related right. to so, – uh, so, yeah, and, and instead of, of sticking to what Scripture says, finally – so, so what, what happened then with her was that she saw that Christians are under the law. Now, obviously, there are certain things that she wouldn't say we do because she didn't do them, but right. we are in the law, especially the Seventh-day Sabbath. And, of course, the church had reasons why, from first century, why we did not celebrate the Seventh-day Sabbath. And we certainly know from the words of Christ and Paul that the Sabbath, there were some changes in the whole issue of the Sabbath. It's not that it disappeared completely, but it was not the same as it was right. under the Old Covenant. So so anyway, so she wrote The Great Controversy for years. I don't know that I haven't spoken with a Seventh-day Adventist person of any uh, studiedness in that lately. But I think there's been a move away from some of that, so much so that some evangelicals refuse to call Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist, um, and praise be to God for that. A cult. Yeah. Praise <laughs> praise the Lord for that. I mean, but I that, think so that's... So it has been. But I'm not up enough on the recent developments to say much more than that. But that, that's the story. That's the history. Yeah, and absolutely. came out of that Adventism begun by Miller, and that was looking to the coming of Christ and how things must be. Actually, one of the things she learned, she said she learned, was that the whole world would have to have the gospel before Christ would come back. Well, we know where that comes from, right. but there's some... Things that need to Once be again, context, context. Yeah, there's a context to that, yeah. Okay, so seven-day Adventist. Next is Mormonism. Yeah. I said earlier that Mormonism is not strictly an Adventist movement, and it isn't. But it, it, it did come up during that same time frame. And a fellow by the name of Joseph Smith was very dissatisfied with the church and the things the church was teaching. He um, was something of a charismatic fellow, could gain a following, and he um, – uh, he had some confusion, doctrinal confusion. It's interesting. People have doctrinal confusion, and they go to confusing places to get their confusion. They get more uh, confused. Unconfused, yeah. Right. So he uh, he had a visitation from an angel. This angel's name was Moroni. Sounds a lot like Moron, but uh, he – he uh, this supposedly – that's when I say he had it. I say he supposedly had it, this visitation. Um, and he received – these tablets, and these tablets had on them the Book of Mormon. And so in, in a secret visitation, these, uh, the angel Moroni translated these tablets for him. Interesting, when he wrote it all down, supposedly he wrote it all down, 
it, it was all in King James English, which, of course, was pretty well removed from modern parlance, but it was all in King James English, and it mentioned things that were what we call anachronistic or out of their time frame. But you wouldn't, you know, it's, um, if you do some reading from people who have critiqued Mormonism, you'll see some, some of this more specifically. But uh, so, so now Smith has something that is on a par with Scripture because it, if you have this Book of Mormon, then you, you can interpret Scripture. It tells you more about what God is, what Christ, who Christ is, and what salvation is, and these sorts of things. And then Smith declares himself to be, well, more than just a prophet, but a seer, a translator, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, well, you look at what Ellen G. White did, and, and you kind of look at what he did, and, and he just took it further. He did. He took it further, was even more heretical. Well, um, could, I were guess they, you could say. Were they contemporaries? I, I genuinely, historically don't know. That's why I'm asking that question. Were they contemporaries? Uh, somewhat. Okay. Not completely. Yeah. Yeah. They, they overlap. Similar, similar time frame. Okay. Now, something that happened with Smith was because Smith was, he had sexual moral issues. Hmm. Um, hence, he he had more than one wife. His wife never recognized his other marriages, but he just prophesied to her and told her she was you know, wrong. That's convenient. Yeah. Exactly. He's a prophet, right? So he could do that. Um, his moral sexual issues resulted in multiple wives and multiple children by those wives. He um, um, So that became a sort, of, sort of a doctrine, sort of a thing. So, so with that came some conflict, public conflict. He was in Ohio. That was where he was, that was, he was from there. But these conflicts came, and he wound up going to Missouri. And then a bank that was owned, now they have the Mormon Church. Mormon Church is established um, uh, somewhere around 1830. And uh, he, um, uh, there was some shenanigans and things that happened with the bank there that had to close. He wound up having to flee. Um, and then later, he's, he's killed. And uh, a fellow by the name of Brigham Young follows him. Brigham Young is a very strong person, even more ruthless than Joseph Smith, and they flee all the way out to Utah and Salt Lake, the flats. Thus, the, yeah, all so, that we have out there now. Yeah, um, Mormonism is interesting. Uh, people need to be aware that Mormonism is not Christianity. Right. It is. It, it sounds Christian, and but it's not Christian. You cannot be a practicing Mormon and be. A genuine biblical Christian. And why is that? Well, here are the doctrines that, that he promulgated and are part of the church. One is that God was once a man, and now he is an exalted man. So some pe- some of our people may have heard, as God once was, so are we. As God is now, we shall be. Something to that effect. So we will be like God. We'll be an exalted man like God. But God was not. Uh, God was once a man. Uh and this was a first principle of the gospel. He was once a man like us. So they see that as a first principle of the gospel. Uh, they believe in the preexistence of man. I, I, I didn't make enough notes and to, for us to talk about that, that. And we're not really here to discuss the whole ramification of right. the teaching. But they believed in this the preexistence. It's not a podcast on Mormonism. It's not. Right. It's not even a podcast on cults per se. Right. Uh, Jesus is not eternal. He is the first begotten of the spirit children of the Father. So, um, 
you can see why it's important to understand particular words in Scripture that describe the person of Christ, like first begotten or firstborn. Um, Jehovah's Witness also misused that term. Then, um, so Smith um, uh, alone was the one who could give a perfect knowledge of Jesus Christ. Mormonism gives a perfect knowledge of Jesus Christ because Smith is their prophet. Uh, as I said, he died. He was killed. Brigham Young leads the Mormon Church even further into its error and with more ruthlessness ruthlessness in his approach to um, the, singul- the singularity of Mormonism as important. And, um, and Mormonism has grown to be very large, uh, un- non-evangelical cult. We, we use the word cult, we mean something that is unbiblical, yet non-biblical, unbiblical in its approach to doctrine, to Christ, to Scripture, and authority. And those are the, that's what Mormonism was. It wasn't Adventist, but it was that came up during that same time. Okay, so we're looking at these two, and it kind of draws us to some conclusions that we've already made, and quite frankly, we've talked a lot about here on Crossoff, just in general. Right. You will not listen to too many episodes of our podcast without this coming up, and that is we must be tethered to the Scriptures, and we are anchored by rules of interpretation. Yeah, there are there are principles by which we are guided when we look at the Scripture. If which, we don't have those, then anything goes. Which I might add, going back further in our look of, of history, in far as church history, and the Reformation <clears throat> being very specific on this, that's where that all started. Are we, in, we looking at Scripture right? Yes. And so much so that some... People in, in the Reformation thought certain books of the Bible should not be a part of, right. of the Scripture, but I think we have to put that in the context of what they were struggling yeah. with and yeah. working with when it comes to the Catholic Church. So, um, I just I think we can't overstate this enough. Yeah, I go back to a, a quote I made from a fellow by the name of Ryan Fullerton. Some of our listeners may recognize his name. He he's a pastor in Louisville, and he I think the church is Emmanuel Baptist Church, but he spoke yes. at one of our. Passion for Christ summits. And he, he Years asked, ago, by the way. And he, asked, he did, <laughs> and he asked this question, and it was a good question. It was a trick question. But it, he said, we can recognize those who are biblical teachers because they preach from the Bible or teach from the Bible. And then he says, no. Well, everybody's probably going, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Well, I did because <laughs> I didn't catch it. Right. And he said, no. <laughs> I do of, remember that, and I remember I'm in the back when you were doing that, yeah. and I remember seeing your head going, oh, you got yeah, me. You like, caught me, yeah. <laughs> got me. I'm the old codger. I'm supposed to catch that. Yeah. I do remember that now. Yeah, that was a trick question. I, I have never forgiven him for that. <laughs> but anyway, he, he said, no, a lot of heretics preach from the Bible. It's so true. And that you, we see that. We'll see it again in our next podcast as we go to a couple of And he of was others. speaking in light of the church. Yeah. And the, the a lot of false teachers and teach from the, church, yes. the Bible, but they don't teach the Bible. Well, this has been good, and yeah. unfortunately, we're out of time, and that's where we're going to have part two because we're going to look at two more of these. And I, I think, even though we're looking at only four, I do think anything that you approach that is not biblical can be looked at through these same lenses that we're looking right. at through these yeah. four different exactly. groups or organizations. So, anyway, look forward to joining in part two. Join us next week. Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us today. You can always visit us on the web at crosstalkpodcast.org. Crosstalk is produced by Vision for Living Ministries, a nonprofit organization. This podcast is a free resource, but you can support us 
financially through our website. For more information on Vision for Living Ministries, visit our website at visionforliving.org where you will find more great resources. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vision for Living or on Twitter at V4L. We also love to hear from our listeners. You can email us anytime at info at visionforliving.org. Be sure to join us next week on Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond.